brief moments to talk to you from the book of Daniel, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best and not give you everything that I have prepared for tonight. But just talk to you very briefly. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. I want to talk to you about cultural flexibility. Cultural flexibility. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king." Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Um, I want to talk to you for just a very few moments about cultural flexibility. We are called as Christians to be people who are in the world but not of the world. And if God can make a worm who can crawl through from one end of a mud puddle to the other and go in clean and come out clean, he can certainly help us as Christians to be in the world and not of the world. Amen. We need as Christians to have cultural flexibility without indignation. Cultural flexibility without indignation. Do you know what indignation is? Indignation is that attitude that just says, oh, well, I just can't believe they would do such a thing. 
oh, I can't, I can't believe what I'm seeing. I can't believe what I'm hearing. Um, indignation. And you may say, Pastor, are you saying that we ought to be accustomed to, we ought to get used to sin, to being exposed to sin? Well, no, we should not be uh, so numb to the world that we live in that sin does not disturb us. Yet, friends, at the same time, we should not be surprised when sinners sin and when people that are of the world live like the world. And we need to learn how to live in the world in a way uh, that um, we, can, we can walk through our days uh, without expressing undue indignation over everything that we see and hear. In verses 5 through 7 of Daniel chapter 1, it says that the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that he ate and the wine that he drank. They were educated for three years. At the end of the time, they were to stand before the king, and among these were Daniel. They, now, so, so we've got to get this understanding that they were to, they were wiping out the culture of the Jewish nation. That's what the aim was. That's what the goal was. Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm going to dress you like a Babylonian. I'm going to feed you food that Babylonians eat. I'm going to teach you the learning, the wisdom of the Babylonians. And we're going to give you Babylonian names. And all of this was calculated to erase their identity, their heritage, and conform them to the life of Babylon. And it seems that they were willing to go along with that to a certain point. Nothing they could do about leaving their home Seemingly nothing they could do about the education that they were to receive or being called by different names. In fact, um, three of those that were mentioned, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those are the, those are the Babylonian names uh, that those men are known by. And most people, um, we'd have a hard time. I usually have to read it to remember their Hebrew names how well their, their identities were changed, were shifted. Cultural flexibility without indignation. I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to take the time to tell you about the monkey. Um, I just want to be clear. Um, I'm not saying compromise. Pastor, are you saying we compromise with the world? No, I'm not saying we compromise with the world. I'm not saying we try to become like the world. What I'm saying is that we don't need to smack the hand or uh, whether literally or figuratively of everyone who reaches towards something that we think ought to be for, forbidden. In most cases, we shouldn't even respond. I I remember a time in my own life when 
I, uh, I was at a secular workplace and in an environment where um, I remember one day in particular, um, there was a lot of bad language happening around me, and I got so frustrated and so irritated, um, I said something to the effect, could we just stop with the four-letter words? And um, that didn't make me real popular in that setting or culture. Um, Just understand, friends, that the world is not like you, and you are not like the world. But we don't have to be weird about it. That's what I'm trying to say. We don't have to be weird about it. You see, there's no, there's no redeeming value in being different for the sake of strangeness. Sometimes I think there have been elements within the church that have embraced that attitude of being just for the sake of, of being different. Yes, we are to be different, but not just for the sake of being different alone. If we are simply what God calls us to be, we will be different. We don't need to worry about it. If, if, if all we needed to do was be different just for the sake of strangeness, then you know maybe we could just all wear beanies with a propeller on top and and that would let everybody know you know that we're different yeah they're different cultural flexibility without indignation also cultural flexibility without scorn without scorn we don't do it that way here we don't do it that way here. We don't act that way. Um, let me just mention quickly that when Daniel interceded on behalf of himself and his three friends, when he spoke to the eunuch who was trying to feed them uh, the food from the king's table and the wine that they drank, uh, he made a respectful appeal to the authority in his life. He was not scornful, but rather was respectful. He suggested a trial period to say, well, just try us out. And I, I, don't, I believe Daniel had already made up his mind to do what was right. The Bible indicates that he had. And I believe Daniel and his friends were walking by faith that God would help them and sustain them uh, that they would truly look better. But at the same time, um, he did not talk about how, you know, how this was a, 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 a violation of their, uh, of their religion, of uh, all of that you know, they were supposed to do. They didn't talk about how wicked and sinful the people were for what they were doing. Um, they were respectful and flexible in the way they interacted um, I'm not going to take time to tell you about Skyline Chili. Um, my family will appreciate that. Um, the, the, I'll just tell you the point of this. The point of the the point of that is, you don't you don't get very far with people when they have offered you the best that they have to offer, and you are scornful of what they have offered. 
um, we, we fed Brett some Cincinnati-style chili, and um, he, he liked it very wisely. He liked it. <laughs> it was good that he liked it because, uh, yeah, uh, Cincinnati chili is special. It's special. Um, finally, cultural flexibility, but only so far. Cultural flexibility, but only, only to a point. There was a point at which Daniel and his friends would not go beyond. Verse 8 of Daniel chapter 1 says, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or the, with the wine that he drank. And he was flexible. There were some things that he could do nothing about. But when it came to violating his conscience, he determined within his heart that there was a line he would not cross. And he did not. Now, this requires discernment. Discernment. Something that I think some of us, not some of us here necessarily, but some of us in the church world are perhaps lacking a bit. You see, friends, we need to pick our battles wisely because some ground is not worth dying for. There are some battles that simply are not worth fighting. There are some matters that are on the periphery of our, of our faith, the periphery of our walk with the Lord, that uh, very possibly God has been clear to us about. And if He has been, then friends, don't you dare violate whatever God has been clear to you about. But on the same token, you don't need to impose that on everybody else around you. Discernment. But also commitment. Also commitment. Know what you believe and why you believe it, and then having done all, stand. Having done all, stand. What I want to give you very quickly in closing uh, is from Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4 is a story that's one of my favorites in the Old Testament, it's, and it's actually written by Nebuchadnezzar. Did you know that part of the Bible was written by Nebuchadnezzar? Isn't that fascinating? This is the story where Nebuchadnezzar has a, uh, a, a dream, a vision, and he calls for the wise men to interpret, and only Daniel can interpret it, and uh, uh, it is this, uh, this judgment uh, upon, uh, upon the king that he's going to be cast out from uh, the, the uh, realm of mankind. He's going to go out and live in the wilderness like a wild animal. His hair's going to grow long and shaggy, and his nails are going to grow out like talons. He's going to basically be living like a wild animal for seven periods of time. But then he's to be restored. And I think uh, this... So what I want to point out to you from this chapter is, is from an oblique... Look, in other words, looking at it at an angle, it's not directly about what the story is about, but looking at an angle at this story, we see a couple of things that are very interesting. One, Daniel was well known enough to be included 
but different enough to be special. Can I say that again? Daniel was well known enough to be, to, to, uh, to be included, but different enough to be special. Look at chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. At last Daniel came in before me, before Nebuchadnezzar, he who is named Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw in their interpretation. Daniel was included with the other wise men. He was part of the wise men of Babylon and was was in their in their circle but yet he was different enough to be special there was something about him that Nebuchadnezzar knew very clearly there's something special about this guy this is very convicting to me Daniel was affectionate toward the king look at verse 19 of chapter 4 after, this is after Daniel had heard the dream the, and, and understood within himself what the dream meant. Verse 19, Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. And he answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. Oh, friends, how many times I've talked to people, worked on people, prayed for people, and seen them more as a, as a project rather than as somebody that I genuinely love and have affection for. Someone, I'm not going to call his name, but a, a man who has been a preacher, he told about a time when he, on purpose, took membership in some organization that was apart from the church and he said he did it on purpose so that he could make friends with some people who were sinners and he said he got to the point where he really knew them they were really his friends and he really loved them and uh, he said I I worked with them and prayed with them and I wanted them to come to church I wanted them to get saved but he said I didn't see them as projects for me to work on he said I just couldn't stand the thought of eternity without my friends that I loved oh and that so convicts me third Daniel appealed to the king and kept his head um, if you look at verse 27, after Daniel told the king what the dream meant and the possible judgment that was coming, Daniel said, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity." Now, I, I will admit I'm reading between the lines here, but I believe that the fact that Daniel appealed so directly to the king and kept his head suggests that there was mutual affection and perhaps appreciation on the part of King Nebuchadnezzar. 
And then finally, Daniel remained available to the king, even as he had to watch him self-destruct. You know, it's hard to watch somebody that you care about self-destruct. It's hard to watch them come apart. It's hard to watch them seemingly throwing their lives away. But yet sometimes we must let them go their own way. We cannot force anyone to do God's will against their own will. And yet even as Daniel had to watch the king self-destruct, he remained available. He was there and he was present to see the king come back. And the result of all of this is, is, is a wonderful, the story has a happy ending because at the end of, uh, of Daniel chapter 4, um, verse 34 says, At the end of the days I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the host of heaven. None can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? And God restored his kingdom. And, and we see further evidence of this in verses 1 through 3, uh, how this chapter uh, is introduced. King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. That's quite something to hear from a pagan king, isn't it? I wouldn't be surprised if we see old Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. And friends, I believe all of this is at least indirectly the result of the way Daniel and his friends interacted with the pagan, godless culture that they were forced to be a part of. They were flexible enough to get along wherever they could, yet they did have the lines that they would not cross. And it had worked so well that I believe, as I mentioned, Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar had, had developed a mutual appreciation and affection towards one another. May God help us to have discernment, to know how to live the life in front of the people that are watching us and to have the kind of commitment that says, I'm not going to cross that line, but yet in, in taking a stand, I'm going to take my stand in such a way that I, I'm not harmful or bring a reproach to the cause of Christ. Amen. Let's